0: Genesis 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn So Abraham returned to his young men. they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba.
1: Thanks, Brian, for the spoiler <laughs> where, this is, where this is headed. This is not a spoiler. Everybody kind of knows you see the story, and it's hard not to think of the future. It's hard not to think of the foreshadowing. And so it's exciting to look at the story today. It's exciting because of what we'll learn from the story, but also what it points us towards, what it ultimately reminds us of. And I love how you read it. I love how you climb down into the story when you really, like, some of these stories are familiar. Some of these stories you've heard many times, but when you climb down into it and you put yourself in the position of the people in the story, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. It's, it's a little bit like, I cannot believe this is happening. So, as we enter the story, let me just ask you to do me, do me a favor. If you could just, shh, if you could, like, stop. Try, try not to fidget around. Try not to even whisper. I know some of you have to whisper to your kids a little bit, but don't do that. If you could not move around, uh, I know sometimes it's very hard not to go to the bathroom during the sermon, but if you could not go to the bathroom today, like, if you could just stay as still and focused, I just think that would help everybody, because, well, testing is in progress. Oh. Why are you laughing, Stephanie? <laughs> I mean, it, I, know, I know students, you, you're back at school, and it's a, it's a good feeling, I know that, to be back at school. But it's not, I mean, the start of school is exciting, but it's not nearly as exciting as that day when they start the, that star testing. That's the real exciting day. Um, because, I mean, everybody's so anticipating that. And if you're if you're a homeschool kid or private school kid, you don't even know what you're missing right now. You just do not know with star tests. Because that's what we do when there's a big, important test. We, like... We shut those schools down, like no bringing your lunch, no coming to lunch that day, nobody in the hallways, nobody squirming around, everybody like, we got to take this serious. And I don't, it's kind of crazy to me how much we emphasize those testing times, because I, you, you come tell me if I'm wrong, but it just feels like the more we emphasize it, the more we stress about it. The more we emphasize it, the more we... We feel like this is going to be a horrible thing. Like this is not going to be good because they've told us this is really, really serious and it's really hard and it's really important and if you don't pass, you don't get to go on. Like, what? It's just kind of crazy how much we shut everything down and there's like songs have been made about it and all kinds of stuff to try to make kids feel okay about it while we're at the same time making them feel so stressed out about it. And I know you're excited. I know that's like you can't wait for April when we start those things. But I mean, just if you just for a moment just stop and think about what this story is really about. What it tells us this story is about is that Abraham, God decided to test him. And man, if you think about the test, I'm glad I don't have any tests like this. I mean, this is unbelievable what God is asking Abraham to do as a test of his faith, as a test of his devotion, as a test of his love. It's just, I mean, that's what he says, verse one, in case you missed it. After these things, God tested Abraham. This is God's plan. This is, he's got a purpose behind it and he's orchestrated the events and the circumstances in 25 years, like we talked about last week, 25 years of waiting for this child to be born, and now God's going to put him to the test. God's going to say, Abraham, here, I want you to take that child that you've been waiting on for 25 years, and he's finally here, and all the joy, you named him uh, he who laughs or laughter because of the, the joy that he's brought to you in your old age. I want you to take him, I want you to make him a sacrifice. A burnt offering, which means all of him burnt up on the altar. I mean, what a test. And Abraham, as we've watched his story develop, you know that sometimes he passes the test and sometimes he struggles in the tests. But here's one instance where we can look at Abraham and we can know this is why he's the man of faith. This is why he's in the hall of faith. This is why we know him because of his great faith, because of how he passed this test. And so I, I want us to do that. I want us to climb in the story a little bit. I want us to ask that question, like, how can we be like Abraham? How can we learn from how he passed this test, how he, how he responded to this crazy, crazy request that there's no way he could have understood why God was asking him to do that? how we can respond when we experience tests and trials the way that Abraham responded. Because I think we can learn from that in this this text. And and I think as you walk through the story, there's really just, just some observations that you can make that I think will help us begin the learning process. And that's really how you read your Bible. That's how you study your Bible. You just walk through it, you read it. And you just make observations. What what do I see happening here? Who are the characters? What are they doing? What are they being asked to do? How do they respond? Why did they respond that way? Kind of put yourself into the story and and try to figure those things out. You're just making observations throughout as you walk through your Bible. And so... I want to make a few observations and hopefully learn from that. And then I wanted to go to the ultimate picture of this at the end. But the first observation I think that we can make here is that we should expect tests from God. We we should we should approach life expecting trials, expecting even for God to test us. I mean, if you think about Abraham, like this is not the first time God has tested his faith. I mean, from the very first time he came onto the scene in Genesis chapter 12, when he was still Abram, God says, Abram, here's the deal. I want you to follow me. I want you to leave your household, your people, your family, all that's comfortable to you. And I want you to go to a place that you don't know. I'm going to show you when you get there. Just follow me. There was a huge faith test at the very beginning. God's like, will you trust me to follow me into the unknown? And every time that Abraham has something going on in his life, you can see kind of a test of his faith behind that. Sometimes he passes, sometimes he, he doesn't do so well. But there's this just this period of God testing his faith all throughout. And so when you look at his story, I think that you can learn that from about our story. That we, we should expect this. We should expect tests to come in our lives. We should expect trials to enter into our lives. Remember, before Genesis, we were in James, and James starts with a bang. He starts and jumps right into it, and he says these words, James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, but when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces something in your life. It produces steadfastness or perseverance. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking and nothing. So James tells us that when trials come, when tests of our faith come, we should be joyful because we know that it's producing godly character in us. That we, we should approach trials and we should approach tests with some, it may not feel happy, it may not feel joyful, but we should approach it with at least a big picture understanding that in the test, in the trial, God's doing something in us to make us more like Christ, to make us more mature in our faith. And so we can approach our trials and these tests with this big picture, long-term mindset. God's doing something here. He's using this to make me more like him, to make me more the person I really want to be. But this is that attitude that you see that you should expect that. If God's goal for us is to make us like Christ, and that's what it says in Romans 8, to conform us to the image of his son, then why wouldn't God do, allow trials and bring tests into our life that are used by him to kind of take us through the fire, purify us, and to produce godly character in our lives? And so the problem for us is not that the tests and trials come, the problem is our perspective towards them. The problem is that sometimes we act like God would never do this. When tests and trials come, the first question that most of us ask is, why? Why would God ever allow this to happen in my life? And James gives us an answer. Because God is committed to the big picture. God is committed to our growth. God is, he, he's going to see us through it. He's not going to leave us. But he's committed to us becoming more godly and more holy as we pursue him and so he allows these things into our life so we we have to learn to expect them we have to learn that this is a part of life as trials and even tests from god may come author psychiatrist christian psychiatrist psychologist m scott peck said it this way i thought this was interesting he said life's difficult okay we all know that once we truly know that life is difficult, I mean, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. I read that like 12 times before I thought I understood it. It's like, what, is he just playing with me? No, I, I, think, I think really that's true. The problem is not that life is difficult. The problem is that we don't expect it to be. We start thinking that, hey, man, if I'm, if I'm with Christ, this is all going to be sunshine and roses. This is going to be beautiful. It's going to be a yellow brick road to heaven. It's not going to be any problems. no, no. Life is difficult. Jesus promised us some trouble. It's going to come. And as soon as we will embrace that, as soon as we really understand that tests and trials are part of life, I don't think it'll be as difficult anymore. All of a sudden, it's not abnormal. It's not, wow, this is a really tough season in my life. It's just like, no, no, no. Life's hard. God's with us, life's hard. There's gonna be a trial, there's gonna be a test, those are gonna come, they're strengthening me, they're producing godly character in my life, but it's always gonna be difficult. And when I understand that, it's not so difficult anymore. And so we need to see it from that perspective. We need to understand that tests will come into our lives. God's going to allow trials and tests to come because he's got a big picture, perfect purpose. So here's the deal, that doesn't mean that every difficult thing that happens in your life is a test from God. Sometimes that's what we start doing. Like, everything that happens to me that's negative, it must be from God, it must be a test. So you find yourself asking yourself weird questions like, huh, I wonder what God was trying to tell me when I got that speeding ticket. It must be a trial. No, it's pretty easy. Like, don't speed. At least don't speed when the officers are around. Like, don't speed. Like, that." The, there's just natural consequences to some of our actions, and so we can't blame everything on God. I made a horrible mistake, a horrible error over here, and then I had to reap consequences, and that seems unfair, so God must be trying to test me. No, no, no. Not everything can be pointed towards God, but there are these things that God allows to come into our lives, these difficult life lessons that come in that are Pointing us to a bigger picture that remind us of that truth that we should expect tests from God. So Abraham's got this test, and it's just a really one more huge test in a long line of tests that God has given him along the way. And this one he passes with flying colors. How does he do that? I think if you're looking at the text and you know the story, I think you can you can build a case for how Abraham passed this test by starting here, that we, we and Abraham must have, but we should focus on God's promises. That when you don't understand what God is doing, and that's what a test feels like most of the time, a test and a trial is different than a temptation because a test and a trial doesn't seem like it fits. It seems illogical. A temptation seems like a logical thing that we would want. That's why God doesn't tempt us. The devil does that. God brings tests because these things don't seem to make sense on the surface because God's ways are higher than our ways. So when the test comes, when the trial comes, if you want to persevere through that, here's what you do. You you trust in God's promises. You focus on God's promises. Abraham had to be focused on God's promise. God had made a very specific promise to him. I'm going to give you a son. You're going to name him Isaac. And that son is going to create a whole nation of descendants, more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the sand on the seashore. You're going to have all these descendants from this son, Isaac. And so it doesn't make any logical sense that that son who God had promised all this nation would come through would be Sacrificed and killed on the altar before he ever has children, before he ever grows up. And so when everything doesn't make sense, you run back and you cling to and you focus on what God has promised you. And that's the way that you have to get through this. The writer of Hebrews tells us a whole lot about Abraham's faith. It's really, really encouraging to look at that. and I want us to look at Hebrews 11, several verses in there, but that might be something you might mark down to discuss with the community group and really focus on or spend some time personally this week in Hebrews 11 really looking at Abraham's faith because he tells us so many clues about Abraham's faith in spite of all the circumstances. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. This will be on the screens if you want to follow along there. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So, Abraham didn't know where God was leading him, and he obeyed anyway. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. He didn't ever really establish a home, He he was a nomad, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So he also didn't know when. So much of what God promised Abraham was always future tents. You're going to have a child. 25 years later, there's a child. You're not even, you're, I'm going to give you this land. Abraham never really established himself in that land. He, had, he was still living in a tent because he was a, it was a future tent. Abraham obeyed God and trusted God even though he didn't know when. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him, Abraham, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. He also didn't know how. It's past the time to have kids. That, that, That ship had sailed. And yet... Abraham and Sarah, they trusted God, they believed in God, even though they didn't know how God was going to do this. And then God gives them a son. He gives them the son of promise. All the promises have come true in this Isaac baby. And if you skip down to verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So it didn't make sense. Verse 19 tells us something about Abraham. He said, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You understand, that never happened before. the history of the world, nobody had died and had come back. But Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that even if I kill Isaac here, God can raise him from the dead. Why? Because he's focused on the promise. Here at this time when he's called to sacrifice Isaac, he doesn't know why. There's no answer for why. There's no understanding. Why would you do this? So Abraham trusts God even though he doesn't know where. He doesn't know when. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know why. And put yourself in that that position. All all I need, if I'm honest, is one of those unanswered and I struggle. I, I can know the... The where, the how and the why, and I and all of a sudden I've delayed, God delays, and I don't know when, and I'm just struggling, I lose faith. Abraham didn't know where he didn't know when, he didn't know how, he didn't know why, and he trusted, he kept following, he kept obeying God. I mean it just tells us so much about how he must have been running back to the promise. No, God promised me the son. God promised me the descendants. I know God's going to do that. So much so that even if I kill him, even if I sacrifice him, God will bring him back to life. Because God made a promise. And we talked about this last week very, very in depth. God makes promises and he keeps promises. He never, ever fails to come through on a promise and Abraham knows that because of his relationship with God and so when God asks him to do something he doesn't understand when there's a trial and a test in front of him that he just cannot make any sense of at all he focuses on that promise So one of the promises that we talked about last week was Romans 8:28 that God has made this promise to those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose that he will work all things for good we know it, we got it on t-shirts, we got it on, framed in our homes, it's a great verse. We love, love, love that verse. But when the trial comes, when the test comes, when we don't understand and God seems like he's forgotten, so the answer is really, really delayed, do you still remember the promise? Do we still focus on the promise? No, I don't know how he's gonna work all this for good. I don't even know how he's gonna bring one good thing out of this. But he said he would. He promised that he would. He always comes through in his promises. He's never failed us yet, we talked about last week. And he never will. So I'm going to focus on that promise. No matter how long the trial lasts, no matter how long the testing is there, no matter how long it seems like I'm suffering and he's forgotten, I'm going to keep focusing on the promise that God said he'll take everything that happens in my life and he'll bring good out of it. He'll work it for good, for ultimate good, for his glory, good. And so no matter what you're going through, no matter what you brought into this room right now, like you may be questioning that. You may be wondering, why, why is this happening? What's going on here? How do I... No, God always comes through, and he promised you that. If you love Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, he promised that he'll work everything for good in your life, even when it doesn't feel like it. So we focus on God's promises, and that helps us when we don't understand how God's working or what it looks like God's not working. And then we trust in God's provision. We, we should, in response to trials and tests, focus on his promises and then trust in his provision. This is that same thing. Like, I don't know how he's going to provide, but I know he will. So I'm going to trust in God's provision. You see Abraham giving us clues all the way through this story. He, he first tells the, the two servants that went with him, hey, you guys stay here. Isaac the boy and I are going to go up here and worship and then what does he say he doesn't say and then we'll come back maybe (laughs) he he says we're going to go worship and then we're going to come back he doesn't have an answer at that moment what he's doing is he's trusting that God's going to provide Even, even Isaac sees that there's something missing he's like dad we got the wood you're making me carry it again thanks for that We got got fire, we got a torch. I even think I saw that you had a big knife. Where's the lamb? What does he say? God will provide. God will provide. Abraham, in the midst of not understanding the circumstances, in the midst of not understanding why God's doing this the way he's doing it, he just focuses on the promise and trusts in that provision. It's a good reminder for a test. It's a good reminder for a trial. It's a good reminder just for how we approach life, that God loves to provide for his people. That doesn't mean a promise of health and wealth and prosperity. We talked about that last week. It just means that when you you need God to come through, he loves to come through. He provides for us. I, the church at Planetus, uh, CF and Greenville, they, they say it a lot. I've heard them say it a lot this way, and I don't know if I can give them credit for coining it or not, but they say it all the time, that God is he's seldom early, but he's never late. He's seldom early, but he's never late. God comes through and provides for his people. When he calls us, he provides. When we respond in obedience, he provides. The great Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, uh, unbelievable man of God. He said it this way, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. That's why Abraham names this place Jehovah-Jireh. You probably saw that, just says he named the place the Lord will provide. That literally is translated from Jehovah-Jireh, a name that Abraham's giving God and giving the place that God, Jehovah, provides, Jireh that he comes through for his people. So God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. When God calls us to a work and we obey him in faith and confidence and trust in him and we're doing that work, doing it in his way, we'll never lack God's supply. So what what does that really mean? Well, I think we can get confused about that. We can think, well, God will just provide and then I can go do his work. But that's, that's not really... What Hudson Taylor was talking about. It's not really what the Bible talks about. What the Bible talks about is God's work done in God's way and in God's way usually requires some faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So God's way of following him and obeying him and trusting him usually requires faith. It usually requires risk. It usually requires some level of sacrifice. So this fall marks 19 years since uh, I helped start this ministry that I lead called IGO Global. And I know a lot of you have heard of it. Our students are very involved in IGO. 19 years ago is when we decided to try this. And uh, we, we really had no idea what we were doing. We, we knew that God was like leading us to take the opportunities that we had to speak in front of students and to call them to foreign missions, call them to global engagement, to make him famous among the nations and people that had never heard. We knew that. But we didn't know how that was going to play out. We knew that we would just start calling students and maybe they'll go with us. We had no idea that their parents would probably say no at the time. We just like, that's what I think we're supposed to do. This idea that God, I think, had given us had been talked about and prayed about and discussed for two years. I had a job in Indiana at the time, so I was already doing foreign missions. I was in Indiana. You think that I'm crazy. They didn't have, like, sweet tea or cream gravy, so... It's pretty foreign. I was in Indiana, had a a good ministry job. We were happy. And it felt like God wanted us to do this. And it it didn't make sense at that time and that circumstance to start this anywhere else but the Dallas area. And so we started thinking, Tammy and I started thinking about, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to move back to Dallas. What is that going to look like? We're going to have to leave our job. We're going to have to do all these things. And so I had the best plan, one of the best plans I've ever had in my life. It's like, well, I'll tell you what. We'll just start spreading the word. We'll start we'll start trusting God we'll start we'll start telling people about this and when God provides at least like a year of salary it'd be nice if we had two but when God provides a year of salary so we don't have to worry about the transition or the gap then we will start the problem. we'll sell our house and we'll move like makes sense right God's calling us to this he's He's going to provide. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. So he's going to supply. Let's see him supply that, and then let's go. And then that summer, I made another horrible error in my life. I read a book called Visioneering by Andy Stanley. And I say horrible error. It's a great, great book. It's not just about starting a ministry or a business or something. It's just about personal vision. And I was reading through it, and I got to chapter 10. And in chapter 10, I found this quote. The people who make a difference in this world commit to what could be before they know where the money's coming from. Their vision is enough to cause them to jump in. Money usually follows vision. It rarely happens the other way around. Consequently, vision always involves sacrifice and risk-taking. Andy Stanley. it hit me like, it was, it was like getting hit in the face. It was so different from my brilliant plan. And it was so grounded in the scriptures. And I read that, I was actually speaking at a youth camp when I read that, and I just like plowed through it. And I realized that chapter 10 of Andy Stanley's book will lead you to chapter 11 if you're not careful. Bankruptcy. Um, something I had to declare at the time. So, no, just joking. Um, I came home from the youth camp and I took Tammy out to dinner and I I, I looked across the dinner table with her and I said you know we've been talking about this starting this thing we we didn't even know what we were going to call it at the time we've been talking about it for two years and here's what I think God's telling us to do I think he's telling us to put our house on the market and sell it and whenever it sells we should move down to Texas and we should live with your parents so she knew I was serious then right? I said I'm going to live with my in-laws I'm willing to go live in their house, as a grown adult, and I love her her parents. I I really do, they're they're awesome, but I didn't didn't really want to live with them, I just thought, well I don't know how God's gonna provide, but I think he's calling us to step out on faith. And she was crazy enough at the time to go along with this new plan, and so we put our house in the market, eight houses for sale in our neighborhood, had been for sale for two months, and ours sold in like three days okay, great. I mean, this is just the way God works, guys. Like he calls us to things and he will provide, but it's hardly ever, he never, almost never allows us to skip a step. Sacrifice, risk, step out on faith, and then watch God provide. Why? Why does he do it that way? Because he gets the glory when he does it that way. People look at him, not not the sacrifice that I made to live with my in-laws. They look at him and what he did to provide for that. Nineteen years later, we've still got this ministry going. We're still training and mobilizing students. And it's not because of what I did or any. It's all because God called us, he provides. Man, that, that may be something for you personally. Maybe you've got something that you've been waiting to try and you haven't stepped out in faith because you're hoping God will give you some really concrete answers on the other side of that first. Maybe it's something simple like serving in our church. We want you to serve. Every member here of our body is a minister and we've got a place for you to serve. And you go, oh, I don't know, man. I need God to confirm that I could actually like, do lead children, that they would listen to me. No, God's never going to confirm that they're going to listen to you because they're not going to listen to you all the time. You just step out on faith and you see God provide. You just jump into the game, jump into serving, playing your part, and see that God uses you and provides for that. God's work done in God's way. God's way almost always requires risk, almost always requires sacrifice. It may be that not just individually, but maybe as a church that we're going to have to be confronted with that down the road. Like maybe we're going to sit here and go, okay, we we hope that God gives us a building. We trust that God gives us a building, but maybe he's going to call us to live out this process by faith and take some steps that don't even really make complete sense from all the business minds in the room because we, we believe God's providing And we'll provide. Maybe. I'm not saying that we're ready to do that tomorrow. I'm just saying maybe that's a part of that process. That this whole thing, we want you to live by faith. That maybe as a church, we're going to have to collectively live by faith. Focus on his promises and trust in his provision. He's Jehovah Jireh. He provides. We follow. We trust. We obey. Even without answers. And he provides. And in the middle of all that, I think we should seek to glorify God. I mean, we don't see that necessarily in the story that you know, but we know the story. because in this story, we can look at Abraham, but what we really see is God's faithfulness, God's provision. God's, God, God never wanted him to sacrifice his son. This wasn't some weird. We have a horrible God that would require that. He was testing Abraham's faith, and he always had a plan. He was always going to provide the ram. And so what we see is a great God in this picture. We see a chance to, for Abraham was given a chance to trust him, even when he didn't understand. And what that did was gave him this opportunity to put God's glory on display, to give God glory in his life trials and suffering tests in our life give us a powerful opportunity to give God glory. I want you to think about that. When you go through a trial, when you go through a test, there's this unique opportunity that doesn't exist most of the time in our lives when we're just living comfortable and peaceful. There's a unique opportunity to give God glory in a way that cannot be ignored by the world. Do you understand that? This world doesn't necessarily care about what this Bible says. The, the people outside this body that, that are not believers, they don't, they'll reject this Bible as some ancient mythology book. You can share the gospel and the truth of the gospel and Jesus with them, and they can look at that and say, no, 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 that's not for me, that's something just for you, it works for you, whatever. They reject that, they reject us all the time. They can't ignore it when we suffer and we stay faithful. When we go through a trial and we don't waver and we continually trust God and we focus on His promise and we trust His provision and we come through on the other side stronger, no one can ignore that. You can reject the word, the the Bible, you can reject the gospel and all these things, but man, when it comes face to face with somebody walking through a trial and doing it with faith and doing it with trust and passing the test, man, you just, you get an opportunity here to put God's glory on display in our trials. So you got to ask a different question. You, the question we know, normally ask is, how do I get out of this? When will this end? How do I get through it? Instead, it's the question of how, how can God use this to bring him glory? How does God want to use this to bring him glory in my life? I, I don't know if you guys know the Harpers, Brian and Blanche over here, have been friends with us for, with us for a long time. And relatively new to the church, last, last two years, I guess. And uh, a lot of you, because they're new to the church, they don't know the, a lot of their story before they got here. They were, we, were in, uh, we were at Lake Point Church together back when I was teaching in class, and we got to know them. And they, had a, uh, they have a son who's at Rice, Joshua. And they had, a, they had a daughter while we were in life group with them, in class with them. And um, she was born with a lot of medical issues a lot of a lot of medical complications and i remember even back then being at the hospital and and just the the shock of it and all the stuff that was going on and uh several years ago i don't i'm sorry i don't remember the dates of this but a few years ago um uh passed and they contacted me they weren't even at the church at the time asked me to do the the, do the ceremony and um i i didn't want to do that y'all like i didn't want to I didn't want to do that, but I knew them, and I knew I loved them enough to do that. And I remember sitting down with them before the ceremony and asking them what their goals were for it. What do you, what do you want to happen? Like, uh, they, they had the start, she was 10 years old, right? And she had never really interacted with them. She had never spoken. She had never, you know, things that you expect, a, what, what we call a normal kids. She had not enjoyed those things, but they had loved her well and loved her faithfully, and she, and she passed, and they... Um, I remember Brian looking at me and going, we just want God to be glorified in this thing. We want people to see that God is faithful and he's good even when it doesn't feel like he's faithful and good. I was like, man, you probably got the wrong guy because I think you need to be doing this thing. You need to be speaking. And I got to represent them in that moment and to just to, just to highlight their faith in a good God in the midst of a really, really challenging circumstance and situation. And I I told him this morning when I was talking to him, I was like, I've thought about that many, many times. And the thought that I keep coming back to is that you guys put God's glory and goodness on display that day in a way that most times we just don't get to see. And it's these trials, it's these tests that come in our lives that we don't want, we're like, why, why, why? It's these opportunities that God gives us. He's growing us, but it's really like this opportunity to show how great he is, to show how much we love him, to show how much we trust him, to show how we know he comes through for us. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste the trials. Don't waste the tests. Look for ways to put God's glory on display. And this story, I mean, like, like Bran said, this story is not just about Abraham. We can learn a lot from Abraham, but this story is really teaching us about God. It's showing us the glory of God. It's showing us how great he is. I mean, everything about this story, this Mount Moriah, that's where they built the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not even there yet, but that's where they built the temple. This is all God orchestrating things to point to a greater truth, a greater reality that God is the ultimate, true and better Abraham. And he's gonna sacrifice his son, the true and better Isaac, for the sin of the world. And Isaac, there was a substitute. The ram became the substitute, so Isaac didn't have to die. And Jesus, God's own son, only son, his beloved son, is gonna die in our place so that we don't have to die. We get all eternity to live forever with God. Book Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller says it this way. God saw Abraham's sacrifice and he said, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your only son from me. But how much more can we look at this sacrifice on the cross and say to God, now we know that you love us for you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. When the magnitude of what he did dawns on us, it makes it possible to finally rest our hearts in him rather than in anything else. I mean, if you look at this story and you're honest, you go, why? Why would God do a test this way? Why, why such a crazy request? Why test Abraham? There's so many ways you can test your faith. Why this test? And there's a lot of ways you can answer that because one of the answers is an idolatry thing, right? It's like, God gave Abraham Isaac, and is Abraham willing to give Isaac back to God? Or does he, did, did Abraham just want what God could give him in a son, or did he just want God? Was God enough? There's that question. But I really think the biggest way to answer that, the most true way to answer the question, why did God do it this way, is because God is pointing us to Jesus. It's the only way that really makes sense to me. Why would you call someone to sacrifice his son because God's going to give up his son, his only son, so that whoever believes in him will not die, not perish, but have eternal life. That that story here is pointing us to the greatness of the gospel. It's pointing us to the greatness of Jesus. It's teaching us how great and glorious God is that he would make that ultimate sacrifice for us. I was sharing the notes with Ryan and Kai and Nick as I always, we always do with each other and they reminded me of that tool that if you're not using this, like get one, storybook Bible. It, read this to your kids. Read it after your kids are going to bed so they won't see you like crying. It's so amazing. I'm gonna read this story of Genesis chapter 22. Brian, I'll try to get through this. God knew that his secret rescue plan could only work if Abraham trusted him completely. God had to make sure Abraham would do whatever he asked. So a few years later, God asked Abraham to give him a present. Abraham liked giving presents to God. He gave God his animals. They were called sacrifices, and they were a way to say, I love you to God. But this time, God didn't want a lamb or a goat. God wanted Abraham to give him something more, much more. He wanted Abraham to give him his son, his only son, the son he loved, Isaac put his boy on the altar and kill him as the sacrifice how could God want him to do such a terrible thing Abraham didn't understand but he knew that God was his father who loved him and so Abraham trusted him early the next morning Abraham and Isaac set off they climbed the steep stony trail up the mountain Isaac carried the wood on his back his father carried the knife and the coals Papa Isaac said we have everything except we forgot the lamb for the sacrifice God will give us the lamb, son, Abraham said. They built an altar and laid the wood on top. Abraham asked his son to climb on top of the wood. Isaac didn't understand, but he knew his father loved him, and so he trusted him. He climbed up onto the altar, and Abraham tied his boy to the wood. Isaac didn't struggle or try to run away. He just lay there quietly and didn't make a sound. Everything was ready. Abraham took the knife. Tears were filling up his eyes. Pain was filling up his heart. His hand was shaking. He lifted the knife high into the air. Stop. God said, don't hurt the boy. I want him to live and not die. I know now that you love me because you would have given me your only son. Abraham felt his heart leap with joy. He unbound Isaac and folded him in his arms. Great sobs shook the old man's whole body. Scalding tears filled his eyes. And for a long time, they stayed there like that in each other's arms, the boy and his dad. Suddenly, Abraham saw a ram caught in some brambles, the sacrifice. God had given them what they needed just in time. The ram would die so Isaac didn't have to. And so Abraham sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And as they sat there on the mountaintop watching the embers of the fire die in the cool night air, the stars above them sparkling in the velvet sky, God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something. God wanted his people to live, not die. God wanted to rescue his people, not punish them. But they must trust him. One day someone will be born into your family, God promised them, and he will bring happiness to the whole world. God was getting ready to give the whole world a wonderful present. It would be God's way to tell his people, I love you. Many years later, another son would climb another hill, carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He wouldn't struggle or run away. Who was he? God's son, his only son, the son he loved the Lamb of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for these stories that, man, what they do is they remind us of your love for us. They remind us of your greatness. They remind us of your glory. We want to we be like Abraham. We want to be faithful when we don't understand. But God, ultimately, we know that this is all about you. That all the glory goes to you. God, I pray that you will make us faithful. I pray that you will help us to persevere. I pray that you will help us to trust you when it doesn't make sense. But God, I pray that you'll do that for your glory. I pray that you'll do that so that we can show the world how great our God is, that he always comes through for his people, that he provides because he promises. And God, we thank you for the ultimate provision that you made in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, your son, your only son, the son that you love. I pray that we will celebrate and worship in response to that great gift today. In Jesus' name, amen.